I was introduced to Emma Stone and like told her what my job was in overseeing sustainability on the set. And her question to me was, so how long do we have? Like, <laughs> as in on this planet. Welcome to Who's Saving the Planet. I'm Tony Noda. With me is Lex Keith Haber, broadcasting live from Brooklyn. How are you, Lex? I'm very well. We certainly are live in this particular moment. And when you hear <laughs> us, we will be a couple of days longer in the tooth. Just a couple. Just a few. So, so excited about the guest that we have on today. She was so cool. What she's doing is really important. It's very complex, but also one of those things that makes a tremendous amount of sense. And we get to go to Hollywood. Earth Angel NYC is the company that we're spotlighting today. As a Brooklyn resident, I'm sure you've seen many a movie sets set up in your neck of the woods. They are disaster zones. There are tons of picnic tables and food waste and lumber waste and diesel generators. They're huge pollutants. And Emily O'Brien, our guest today, is looking to solve that problem with each new set that she joins. Yes, earthangel.nyc is the website. We wanted to make sure we got her a shout out. And uh, earthangelnyc is her Instagram, so give her a follow. Now, she is doing something that is so obvious, but amazingly has not been, has been completely overlooked in her industry, which is making movie sets and production sustainable. And also raise awareness about how unsustainable these places are. So in addition to making them better, she also creates reports, carries forward statistics about how much her impact has resulted in less water bottle usage, less energy usage, offsetting carbon prices of people traveling around to different locations, all of these things. And we also got to learn about who are some of the most sustainable people in Hollywood, what it, why, what it is like with these giant new streamers coming in. So the Netflix and the Apples of the world that pretend to be sustainable or talk about being sustainable, are they changing production writ large? Are they instilling a new set of values? It was a really cool conversation and she was fantastic. This is the podcast episode that every Hollywood honcho needs to hear because Emily's got a great team. She managed to make it through COVID even when uh, movies were on pause. Nobody was going into production, but now we're at a point where more movies are going into production and she needs to grow her team. Yep. So if you are in Hollywood or you are a decision maker of any title or position in Hollywood, you need to listen to this episode and you need to contact Emily and bring her on board. And we need to make this industry that the United States takes so much pride in. We love our entertainment. So love our entertainment. <laughs> we, can't, we can't get enough of it. We need 10 seasons of Friends. I mean, we need, uh, I don't know. I'm babbling now, but we, we love our shows, we love our movies, and we love our planet. At least we should. So Emily is the person that you need to know and hire more people like her. All right, let's kick it over to Emily then. Really excited about this one. Um, check it out, earthangel.nyc, and let's so discover how she's saving the movie industry for the planet. Hello, Emily. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to Who's Saving the Planet. Thanks for having me. You are certainly doing that or trying to do that via movie sets and TV sets. 
which is something that Lex and I have not explored up until this point. The world of Hollywood. So this is our Hollywood episode. So excited to go to Hollywood. I'm, I'm like giddy already. I, it's, yeah, it's going to be great. And also, this is the first time that we've had all three of us be in New York City in like months. So even though we're not in the same spot, it's nice to see another Brooklyn base. Yeah. Yes, Brooklyn pride for sure. Emily, give us the rundown. What in the world is Earth Angel? Why did it come to being? Give us the 10-4. Earth Angel is all about making movies without making a mess. That is our tagline. We were started to help the entertainment industry reduce its environmental impact. And I think that the important piece of that is, you know, an acknowledgement that the film and television industry does have a substantial environmental impact. Yeah. Um, I think when a lot of people think about heavy industry polluting, you don't necessarily think about that TV show that you're streaming or something along those lines. And the challenge has always been that the film industry is sort of this intersection of a lot of different industries, food service and our catering departments. And we have textiles and fashion with costumes. And then we have construction with our sets. And so the nuances of sustainability in all of those different sectors sort of collide in, in the production world. And then you add to that the fact that everything is super fast paced. Um, everyone is really you know, time constrained, budget constrained, and sustainability is not the top of mind uh, issue. You know, Everyone's trying to get this project made on time under budget. And so I think a lot of those pieces are what have kind of prevented the industry from tackling this. And, and so that's where Earth Angel came in. I myself am a, am a filmmaker. I studied film and television at um, NYU's Tisch Film Program with really the impetus to um, want to help create socially environmentally conscious content. Like that cool. was what drove me. I was like, Filmmaking is such a powerful medium. In fact, like I can remember the moment where I started to identify as environmentalist and get interested in environmental issues was when I watched Aaron Brockovich. That film, you know, the, and that just speaks to the power of like storytelling and filmmaking and how it can illuminate issues in these really profound ways. And so I decided I want to study film and then I start working in the industry, realizing that the physical practice and production of making this content is so wasteful. <laughs> Everything it is, is disgusting. So it's like a giant picnic. And I think the food budget for even indie films where most people are working for nothing or peanuts, the, you have to feed these folks. And the amount of paper, plates, plastic, forks and spoons and knives and cups or whatever are just thrown about. And the amount of garbage that piles up on each film set is just incredible. And that's especially the case in New York because so many TV shows are filmed here. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the catering piece of it is, is a immensely wasteful piece of it. But then there's the set construction. You mm -hmm. know, we construct a White House set or a, you know, airplane set or a subway set in this, you know, to be shot for like maybe a few days and then oftentimes it just all gets torn down. Um, and then we also are, you know, when we're shooting on location, very often what is powering that set are diesel generators. You know, mm. so we're rolling into these neighborhoods, we're diminishing their air quality, we're taking up their parking. You know, there's a lot of ways that we are not always the friendliest of neighbor to some of the communities we film in. And so we wanted to 
not only highlight the fact that we need to reduce our environmental impact, but also like how can we give back and be better stewards of the communities that we are essentially guests in, right? Yeah. We're just there for a temporary period of time. When you're making a movie, you have this thing called like shoot days. Mm -hmm. So you have a certain number of days that you need to make the entire movie in. Can you talk briefly about what that means and what kind of constraint that puts on things like planning and operations and actually like putting together a salient idea about how to effectively clean things up and build things in a way that's like good for everyone else and not just so constrained with time. First and foremost, we have to remember that this is a creative industry, right? So there's all of this pre-production that has to go into the director, the writer, the heads of department sort of crafting what the look and the feel and everything is that's going to go into um, this project. And then you have, you know, the producers, production managers, and a lot of the crew members kind of reacting to that, those, those creative decisions and trying to figure out, okay, so we're going to shoot this massive car chase sequence in the middle of Park Avenue. Right. How are we going to do that? Right. right. Will like, Smith and, is like, we need to, we need to shut down Times Square because, like, I need to walk through it and be broody. And people are like, what in the world are you supposed to expect for that? Need that scene, man. And they need to do it at like three in the morning, right? Because it's the only time to do that, and they need to make it look like it's noon, which is yeah. just insane. Anyway, keep going. Absolutely. So there's all these like creative decisions that then inform the logistics decisions, and I think most of the people who work in production understand that you know are are essentially like logistics wizards like it's remarkable you know the 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 creativity the craftsmanship that goes into how you can shoot an entire feature film with car chase sequences and stunts and special effects and all of these different elements within like 70 days maybe or 90 days or something you know depending on where they're shooting of course so you know the schedule is laid out and you have to make sure that you're meeting that those those restrictions you're on time you're you're under budget ideally for us you know we're constantly having to sort of respond we then react to those logistics decisions okay so this is going to be filmed in x location maybe it's a high rise in new york city over the course of like three days well how are we going to manage waste in this high rise now how are we going right. to get that to and from the set like how are we so so there's like all these different layers of reactions that have to happen, um, which is why we try so so much to be involved in that early pre-production decision making so that obviously we can help inform those decisions from a sustainability aspect. And, and that can be really challenging, right? Because there's sort of like naturally some disconnect between what a you know, creative decision might impact its you know, the sustainability uh, elements and, and environmental considerations. So yeah. it's this sort of like constant uh, push and pull communications chain that uh, sort of unfolds. I remember you worked, uh, you told you worked on Noah, the Aronofsky film, right? Yep, that's right. Love that how, movie. how much uh, waste went into building an actual arc? Okay, so there are actually two arcs. <laughs> of course, because why not, right? Like, you got to have your arc and your spare arc. That was in the book somewhere, I think. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, yeah, there was the, the exterior arc and the, the interior arc. Um, so that was on, on the stage. Obviously, you take a project like that and the construction element of just what it took to, to put something of that scale together was obviously one of the most substantial 
environmental impacts of, of that particular production. There was also a lot of irony with that project because we were shooting NOAA when Hurricane Sandy hit New York. Um, and <laughs> were you shooting in New York too? We, we were shooting in Long Island. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So the art could have actually been like very useful. Right. Yeah. We were shooting a movie about an epic biblical flood when the worst oh, no. superstorm hit New York like, City. Russell Crowe just like floats by Staten Island. <laughs> Everybody come on board. I've got a great Russell Crowe story too at some point. Um, the other piece of it too, though, that when the storm hit, we were sort of like, okay, our community is hurting. Our, our city is devastated. Here we are making a movie. Right. Like right. what What can we do um, to really help support our community? And so one of the ideas that got floated around early on was the fact that a lot of the, the communities that were hit hard, you know, obviously were without power, couldn't make like hot meals for themselves, like lots of like yeah. non-perishable items being donated, but people hadn't had hot meals in days. And so we were like, well, we feed hundreds of people out of these mobile kitchen trucks every single day. And what if our overfed crew forfeited a meal for a day um, so that we could, you know, redirect that to um, hurricane victims. And it took so much logistics. Everyone was like concerned about liability. Everyone was like, well, what about union crew members who feel as though like it's part of their contract to get this meal? And I was like, I will survey every single crew member. And I did. And everyone sort of unanimously was like, yes, I will give up my omelet for a day to go help, you know, our fellow citizens. And, and we did, and we fed over 300 meals in two hours. And that, and it didn't cost production a dime because we just redirected resources that had already been budgeted. And That's so amazing. that, yeah, the NOAA story to me was one of the, the real light bulb moments for me that like, this is not just about do less harm. This is about do more good. Like we, yep. can, yeah. we can accomplish both simultaneously. So you make that connection with Darren Aronofsky does, how, how does that happen? Yeah, no, there's enormous barriers to entry in this industry, uh, for sure. Um, I got onto the set of NOAA because I had worked previously on another production um, as a, you know, a sustainability manager. And uh, it's just a small word of mouth community. You know, like someone gets wind, they're like, hey, I heard what you did on this set. Can you come green my set? Um, and then over the course of working on NOAA, Darren Aronofsky was very uh, supportive of, you know, seeing my efforts on set every single day, digging through the trash, setting up the water stations to eliminate plastic, et cetera. Um, And I remember he even like tweeted about some of our like, uh, you know, meals that we had recovered and donated to local soup kitchens and food banks um, and was just really, really supportive. And I think that then was sort of the seed that ended up launching our ambassador program. And mm-hmm. what we found are, is that the talent is actually really, really grateful and appreciative of when there is an environmental presence on the set. Um, and I, I, I think most everyone is, right? Like they just feel better about going to work every day, knowing that like being at work isn't contributing to environmental degradation as much as it would or, or what have you. Um, and so, yeah, through that, we've been able to get great ambassadors like Tay Leone and Bobby Cannavale and, and Megan Boone, and certainly leveraging the, the power that the talent and above the line crew members have, because that, that is a very real decision-making authority that, that they have to influence sustainability, I think is, is a big thing for, for us to continue to raise awareness on and, and motivate. 
real quick, what does above the line mean? Above the line is basically like the the talent, if you will. So it's your director, your actors, your writers. Below the line in the budget is like everything else, mm. <laughs> essentially. You know, from your equipment to your crew to your housing to your catering. I want to dig into what Earth Angel really does. So what your solution is, because it's a really cool way that you guys have put together a strat- a comprehensive strategy to solve this sustainability on movie set issue. Take back the curtain. Show us what yeah. it is. What does it mean to be sustainable on movie set? And action. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Earth Angel's model is all about the four S's. We say that we provide the strategy, the staff, the stuff, and the stats to help production shoot sustainably. Um, and so the strategy piece is really how do we take uh, sustainability and sustainable best practices and translate that into the language of production and also customize it to the unique needs of said production because every project is different. You know, when we worked on Noah, we had a very different focus than when we we're working on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So there's different elements of that particular project that have different opportunities for sustainability that, you know, are, are just different from show to show. The staff piece is our eco production assistant training program. Mm. So we have one of the only workforce training programs dedicated to training individuals on both climate change 101, zero waste sustainability 101, as well as production 101. And so we staff eco PAs on every single production we work on. And they're the sort of boots on the ground individuals setting up recycling and composting bins, setting up, uh, you know, water dispensers to uh, eliminate single-use plastics, etc. Um, the stuff piece is all of our zero-waste supplies, bins, waste liners, whatever we need to, you know, enact the plan, as well as recover all of the material at the end. So all the leftover props, wardrobe, set decoration, we help repurpose and donate that. And then That's lastly cool. is, um, yeah, lastly is the stats. So all the carbon footprint analyses, um, environmental impact metric reporting, we take care of all of that for the show. What's the biggest offender of the environment and and how have you found a way to mitigate it? Typically, the, uh, the biggest culprit, uh, I'll say, is transportation, is, hmm. is fuel, fuel consumption. And that can also entail like air travel, like if we're shooting a project that is you know, multiple international units, the air travel definitely takes a toll. And just the, the sort of energy consumption as well is, is a big piece of it. You know, it takes a lot of power to, to power a set like we do. But then we're also seeing, uh, you know, new like portable electric generators now becoming more available and with higher capacities that actually can meet our power loads um, more and more now so that we can move away from the diesel generators. There's other innovations, of course, in terms of energy around LED lighting. And I think mm-hmm. initially when LED lighting came into uh, the production you know, world, there was a lot of resistance because filmmakers, cinematographers, directors just loved the, the look and the, and the temperature of tungsten lighting. Um, and now this shift to LED definitely sort of shifts the look and the feel, right? Again, the, like creative decision-making. Um, but as that technology has improved, it's so similar now that you really can't even tell the difference. Um, and so a lot of this is just kind of watching these technologies unfold, figuring out how we can adapt them, bring them into our supply chains, um, existing supply chains, so that we can you know, see that, uh, that you know, greater rate of, of mitigation as quickly as possible. 
are there rules that are set when a, a film crew is allowed to go into, say, you know, any one of the boroughs of New York City? Are there any, is there any sort of provision over, you're going to have generators, they better be electric. If you're going to have golf carts, they should be electric. Or, or is it just pretty much up to the producers and the, and the crew or, the, or, you know, folks like you to be, to force that hand? Yeah, not, not yet. There, there are no provisions like that yet. There, there are a lot of groups sort of actively um, advocating for provisions like this and, and, and not even being unique to film sets. You know, the generators that power the New York City Marathon or, um, you know, whatever music festival or live event that's happening. Um, other cities are starting to do that. And other cities have now what we call um, power drops where there are certain... Um, London is a great case study for this, where they've like installed these, um, you know, plug-in stations uh, in really popular places to film around the city. So like film crews come there so frequently that they can just like tie into the grid um, rather than even having generators, uh, which of course is just safer all around. We're not running as, as many cords all over the place, you know, et cetera. How big is your team? We're a team of seven total. Um, we have four in New York and three in California. And then our eco PAs are sort of, uh, we have a pool of freelancers, um, you know, freelance eco PAs who just kind of rotate as needed as different projects come up. So yeah, collectively, I'd say we're, we're probably closer to, you know, a couple dozen. All those sets were shut down because of COVID. Our, obviously it was tough. What's the fall and, and winter looking like? And are, are folks calling you back in again and, and, and whatnot? We're a production vendor, like a, a camera rental house is a production vendor, like a prop rental house is a production vendor or a caterer. So all of these sort of ancillary uh, small businesses that support our industry and, and really hold it up have been hurting for months. Um, you know, we're not alone in, in that. And so... Uh, we are, however, starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we have one project that is starting up um, the month of September, uh, a couple more scheduled to come in October. Uh, so slowly but surely, we're, we're starting to um, see the industry come back. And it, what's funny is that initially sort of with New York being the epicenter, everyone sort of thought New York was going to be the last production hub to come back. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we, we obviously had a really strong response and have been able to keep our numbers low. And I think now it's kind of the opposite and people are like, well, maybe now New York is a safer place to be. So, so yeah, yeah LA has been hit really hard. I mean, exactly. LA, LA is still being hit really hard. And the other main production hubs, like you, you mentioned sure. before, exactly Atlanta and Toronto. And I think Atlanta has been hit quite hard as well. Yeah. Exactly. So there's been this, in our industry, at least, there's been a lot of this, like, you know, accelerate, slam your foot on the brake, accelerate, slam your totally. foot on the brake. And then a lot of controversy, too, about the about agreed upon back to work guidelines. You know, the, the entertainment unions want one thing, um, other trade associations want another thing. But we've also been really diving into these guidelines and trying to see this as an opportunity to actually promote a green recovery, to say, like, we're going to come back even more sustainable than we were before. We're going to really prioritize these things because it's super rare in an industry's history that you get an opportunity to rewrite rules. And I sort of feel like that's what's happening right now. And so where we can be, you know, prioritizing folks like saying, 
yes, human health and safety is important, absolutely, 100%. Um, but environmental health and safety, is, you know, these things go hand in hand. And, and showing people the connections between the fact that this virus originated as a zoonotic disease, you know, uh, largely because of ecological imbalances and how, you know, we have a duty and a responsibility to preserve these ecosystems so that we prevent further pandemic catastrophic, you know, situations as well. Totally. Hey, we, we have the opportunity to talk with people across all the spectrums of uh, environmentalism and fighting climate change. And that is one theme that we see no matter what you're doing is that there's this hope that this pause, this collective shock to the system will engender a more holistic idea about how we fit into the world and how we fit into the planet. And we can come back with an intention about our actions. Um, so totally on board with that. We've had a chance to talk about the problem, which is movie sets are and TV shows are remarkably inefficient. And then the solution, which is go and get Earth Angel on board. And we always spend a minute talking about the viability about this the other side. There's no penalty for doing it wrong right mm. now. And from a consumer standpoint, I have no idea whether this set was environmentally sound or not like if you look at game of thrones and the making of it they fly they flew all over the world with hundreds of people built towns built like just incredible things and you got to wonder like what was the cost of that to the planet and i still watch the television show but i had no idea about any of that so how are you tackling that how do you get the how do you raise awareness with consumers first of all and then also get these executives to focus on something that they're not necessarily incentivized to do we have no regulatory compliance no one's saying you have to do this and penalizing if you don't we are essentially self-regulating and then on top of that we don't have any fiscal incentives uh you know encouraging people to take on these initiatives um and then yes audiences and consumers are not aware of the fact that they are watching a, you know, really sustainable show or a very not sustainable show. So that's the trifecta, right? You have no carrots in terms of incentives. You have no sticks in terms of penalties and no one even knows the difference from the consumer standpoint. So there, yeah. there you go. Three for three. How the heck are we going to get, how the heck are we going to undo that trifecta of, in, of inefficiency? Absolutely. And this is why, you know, I've been working on this issue since 2011 and the progress has been incremental. You know, like I really thought we would have been further along by now, but I think that there are a lot of levers that we can pull within the industry itself, really leveraging decision makers like talent, actors, directors, um, producers, having people be vocal about when they are making these projects sustainably, because sometimes, you know, I, I don't want to not give credit where credit is due. Sometimes studios and, and production companies are doing really cool stuff, you know, in terms of sustainability and innovation. They're just not talking about it. Um, and so we have to start to put sustainable filmmaking on a pedestal. You know, like we've, we've always talked about this idea of like, will there one day be like a green Oscar, for example, like something that is so coveted because we love to give our, ourselves awards in this business right like we yeah, love it's our favorite thing exactly world's well, favorite dictator adolf yeah. hitler <laughs> goodness so that was, like, that's a that's an annie hall joke i didn't coin that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it's like you know how can we kind of take some of those 
uh, cultural, inside cultural elements, um, you know, behavioral psychology stuff even, uh, to try to influence this to, um, to really, uh, to scale. And then, you know, on our end, we've been constantly trying to make this as cost effective as possible, right? Like we want to, we want to, um, do away with the idea and the notion that like, this is going to break the bank and break the budget because while yes, our, uh, our team is added labor that you wouldn't have otherwise paid for, um, you're gonna see reduction in your, you know, waste hauling uh, expenses and you're gonna see reduction from not having to buy so much single use plastic items and you're gonna see, you know, the ability to repurpose, donate things and, and the benefits that that brings or like the reduced fuel consumption and the savings associated with that. So we spend a lot of time internally kind of running these cost benefit analyses to, to you know, really um, educate and enlighten people that like, yes, there could be upfront costs like with most sustainability uh, endeavors, but like there are long-term savings for right. sure. Were you able to launch without financial backing or did you bring investors on? And will that continue to be the case going forward? And why not call up a Russell Crow or Robert Redford or, or Leonardo DiCaprio loves to talk about environmentalism. Is there a possibility to get these guys to put their money where their mouth is? Yeah. I mean, do you have their phone numbers? Cause I, I would love, <laughs> I would love to have that conversation. Well, doing <laughs> media, media appearances and interviews like this could maybe help. Maybe a, a good headline could, could get their attention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we, so we essentially function like as an outsource sustainability department for the show, you know, and um, growing into that model was not easy and was not quick. Um, so no, we, we did not have, I did not receive any funding or financing when I initially started to kick this off. I essentially transitioned as a freelance sustainability consultant. So just like a paid person as a part of the production's payroll to then shifting to a entrepreneur and creating a business model out of this. And that was a really tough transition. I have to say, like to get people out of the mindset of seeing you as like a crew member person you know, mm -hmm. on payroll to like a vendor, right. you know, um, very, very challenging. And I will say that we had the, we were fortunate to have the support of a lot of what I call our early adopters and just like producers, production managers who just believed in this from the onset. And, you know, we were able to just really, really strengthen the level of service so that we could, um, you know, from there, like it was a bit basically taking my institutional knowledge and figuring out how do we scale this, educate more people and like continue to grow and grow and grow. And so, you know, we've been really fortunate to be able to do that um, largely through bootstrapping, little bit of grant funding and a little bit of SBA loan. But that's, that's really been it for us. The movie industry's changed a ton in the last like 20 years. Tech companies effectively come in and shake up the entire process of how things get made. Apple, Netflix, Disney is now a completely different company than it was before. And in a lot of ways, they claim to be sustainable in the other arms of their business. So Apple has a huge campaign for sustainability. Um, Amazon obviously is, we, we have very mixed feelings about Amazon, but if you are to believe their PR, they are very interested in sustainability as well. Have you seen these like tech companies that are coming in now into the movie industry changing 
the uh, the willingness or the um, appetite for the sustainability because it fits with their old, their cultural initiatives as a company in general? Yeah, I would say so. I think the streamers are having a big impact on, on the overall sustainable production movement as a whole uh, within the industry. They're also swimming in money. Like Also that. <laughs> yeah, there should be no... In, right. I mean, if you're Apple, you're, there's just no reason for them to be cutting corners on this. Right. But sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you in the middle of that. And I think, I think with Apple, it's a little too soon to say. Like, they're still, um, they're still dipping their toe in the water, I think, of, like, producing their own in-house content. And I think that will, will slowly start to see their, uh, their approach to sustainable production kind of unfold here in, in the near future. But the ones who've been at it for a bit longer like a Netflix, like an Amazon, I know there's an appetite to to raise the bar there. Some of it is like social pressure. If people, if, if you can right. expose people for how bad they're doing, it should be. Shameful. I would imagine if Earth Angel were to get involved on like a contract level with Apple to say that every episode of say the morning show, right? Isn't that their show with, with Jennifer Aniston? They you have to have Earth Angel on set. Like that is a requirement. Netflix sees that and is like, oh, like Apple's getting this good press for their sustainability efforts. Let's get on this with say Stranger Things or something like that. Right, yeah, the, the power of PR is definitely a, a huge contributor and motivator here, a thousand percent. But they also did it with uh, the treatment of animals on film sets. Like a film like Missouri Breaks got in trouble for its treatment of horses. I can't think of a more recent example that came out like 40 years ago. But like it, because you're, you have to treat any type of wildlife on set in a certain way and you have to handle it right. I can't imagine a precedent like environmentalism not following suit. So that's a great analogy. And I use that analogy a lot. That and the child labor law movement. There you go. Um, yeah, that's a better one. Because... I think what our industry is sort of notorious for is getting away with self-regulating for as long as possible, you know, until, until they're called out and they have to, you know, now change their ways. And so I think both of those are really, really good examples. The time will come when we have to report our impact and we have to do audits and to some type of outside institution, you know, third party agency, like I, I really see that day, you know, for, for virtually every industry, like it will happen. Um, so, you know, we can adapt and get ahead of it and innovate and, you know, create a brand ethos around it now, or you can, you know, fight it kicking and screaming and, and do it the painful way. Who's the biggest environmental, like advocate freak, like just they're dripping in green and they've only worn hemp? that you've seen that you that you've ever come across so one of the people who i've worked with personally and who i really really admire is shailene woodley hmm. um we worked with her on the amazing spider-man 2 right before she got cut from the amazing spider-man 2 <laughs> she did get cut from spider-man 2 but she also she did a lot of protesting because of environmental issues they she, were going to put in the pipeline she went yeah. to standing rock and right. stood with hmm. those activists and you know fought that good fight in a way that I think like just, you know, puts your money where your mouth is. And I think and she got arrested. Didn't she even get arrested for this? She, she got arrested. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So I think, you know, people like Shailene Woodley, people like Jane Fonda now, you know, like 
now joining Fridays for Future and, um, you know, putting putting their skin on the line in those ways, right? Like not just giving lip service, I think is really, really profound. Like I'm so motivated and inspired by people like that. One of our ambassadors, Megan Boone, also, you know, went up to Albany um, to help lobby for stronger environmental legislation. You know, that that type of thing and using your platform, um, I think, especially in the case of like a Shailene or a Jane, where they're like amplifying the platform of these young activists or these indigenous activists who've been doing this work for years and years and years, but just like have never had the platform. That to me is like one of the most profound ways that a celebrity or, or an athlete, anyone with, with you know, high visibility um, can, can help right now. Tony? Now who's the worst? Spill the beans. I will get in so much trouble for answering that question. Is it Russell? Is it Russell? <laughs> I will say, just a completely separate aside, one of the funniest interactions I think I ever had with talent was also working on The Amazing Spider-Man 2 when um, I was introduced to Emma Stone and like told her what my job was in overseeing sustainability on the set. And her question to me was, so how long do we have? Like, <laughs> as in on this planet. And I just like stood there frozen in front of Emma Stone. And I was like, oh gosh, Emma, you know, I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question, but, but I that's love- where we're at. I, good for you, Emma Stone. <laughs> what message would you have for the people who are so far removed from this, like Tony and I sitting on our couch watching these television shows? How can we, how can we make our voice heard or to let these industries know that we care a little bit about it? So that if there's hundreds of thousands or millions of people sitting in our spot, we can start pressuring them to affect some change. What levers do we have? In the age of social media, everyone's now kind of like following their favorite celebrity or their favorite TV show or their favorite whatever, like seeing those like kind of fan updates. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times what I do personally um, is I reply to their tweets announcing something about their show or on Instagram announcing their premiere date and say like, tell me how this show was sustainable. Tell mm-hmm. me what you did to reduce the environmental impact of this show. You know, like I think those types of call outs and, you know, meeting people on, on these social platforms is, is definitely a pat like, you know, there are people in marketing at these studios reading those, those comments and, and, you know, seeing what consumers and fans are monitoring what they're saying. That's really important. And then I think we also have to think about it in terms of places where, where we convene as an industry. If you are having a production shoot on your block in New York City, which happens a lot, right, in like normal production times, having a conversation with someone on that production and saying like, hey, I don't love the fact that there's a diesel generator sitting on my block right now. Like, who can I talk to about, you know, potentially changing that or potentially, you know, because I think that there's this element too of when you are when you are in a city that is a major production hub and production is taking place, you as a taxpayer have some power and some leverage there too to say like, you know, it's great that the industry is there. They're providing jobs. They're they're stimulating the local economy. Like they're they're attracting and, and stimulating tourism. Like those are really great economic benefits. But we can't just stand on 
you know, the pillar of the economic benefits, if we're going to be sustainable, we also have to look at like, what are, what's the environmental impact that this industry is having? What's the social impact this industry is having, you know, and, and make sure that we are being held accountable. Yeah. With great power comes great responsibility. Indeed. I heard that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite shows on television was The Expanse, which was on sci-fi. And then oh, you're got- the one who watched that show. No, I was one of two because it got canceled. <laughs> it got canceled. And it also happened to be Jeff Bezos's favorite show. So Jeff Bezos just knocked on the door of his giant production company arm and said, I'd like for this to continue, please. And so they picked it up for five more seasons. If you just knock on the same door and be like, hey, guys, suck less. Like, just do a little bit better for the planet. <laughs> hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just pull a Jeff Bezos. There you go. Oh, that's such that's such a double-edged sword pulling a Jeff Bezos. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, Emily, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for yeah. teaching us about this. It is fascinating. Um, love geeking out about Hollywood and all these things. And it's so important. It's one of those things where it's amazing that you had to invent this, that yeah. it didn't already exist. But we're so grateful that you and people like you are bringing to the fore environmental concerns. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, and I'm always happy to nerd out. So I really appreciate it. Take care, Emily. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. How is our conversation with Emily O'Brien, the founder and entrepreneur extraordinaire of earthangel.myc? We also would love to keep in touch with you about all the things that we're working on and building over here at Who's Saving the Planet. Please give us a follow on whosavingtheplanet.com and a follow on our Instagram, Who's Saving the Planet. We have a lot of things in the works. We'd love to keep you abreast. Talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. 